from the boardroom to the break room, people are talking culture. I'm your host, Wade Billings, and this is the Talking Culture Podcast. My guest for this episode is Joel Ventura, a site reliability engineer who lives and works in Lisbon, Portugal. Joel shares his experiences navigating the cultural implications of a corporate merger by an American company. So grab your favorite beverage, get comfortable, and let's get into another engaging episode of Talking Culture. Welcome to the Talking Culture Podcast. My name is Wade Billings. I am your host, and today's guest is Joel Ventura. Uh, I have worked with Joel for uh, a few years and have come to know him as uh, somebody who is uh, both skilled as a technician, um, empathetic as a human being, and all around a hell of a guy. So welcome to the podcast, Joao. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's You're welcome. Great. Uh, you know, I was excited when you uh, reached out to me and said that you would like to, to be on, on the podcast because... Um, you know, the experiences that you have that we'll get into, uh, I think are, are unique. But first, I like to start with three questions for my guests. These questions are really uh, designed to just, you know, kind of get to know you a little bit better um, and hopefully inspire some thoughts that we can, uh, we can build upon in the episode. So the first question I have for you, Joao, what brings you joy? Hmm. Um, that is a hard question. Um, what brings me joy, I think, I think is a multifactorial type question. Um, first of all, on a human perspective, um, it brings me immense joy just, you know, hanging out with my family, hanging out with my friends, um, mm -hmm. going to the movies, um, you know, playing games, playing sports, right. that kind of stuff. Um, but I wouldn't be an engineer if I didn't like solving problems. And that's, <laughs> that's really true. what that's really what um, you know gets me going. There was there was a book that I read a couple of years ago, uh, which was very popular at the time, um, which was the subtle, the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Oh, I love um, that. Yeah, and in that book, one of my main takeaways was uh, life is not about it's not about getting rid of problems. It's about upgrading problems. Um, and I've, I've found that to be quite important to me. And so I'll say that what brings me the most joy is just solving problems and eventually upgrading my problems. Upgrading your problems. I like, yeah. I like that. Tell me more about upgrading your problems. Uh, it, it's more about, you know, how a homeless people may have money problems. Right. Warren Buffett also has money problems. They're just that's, better problems that's to have. That's true. They're, they're, they're better, pro well, they're different problems. I don't know if they're better or not. Uh, they're, still, they're still money problems. Right. Um, but just Absolutely. better problems just, to have when it comes just, to money. Yeah. Just, I guess they are. Um, well, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Like I said, that, that question uh, so far has elicited uh, some very interesting answers. Um, my last guest, uh, Steve, said that uh, you know he he likes climbing up to the top of a uh, a big rock with his wife mm -hmm. and watch the sunrise, which I thought was uh, 
uh, was quite picturesque and poetic. Quite a better uh, answer as, than mine. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I like yours just as well. Second question I have for you is when did you first become aware of this thing called work culture and, and possibly uh, feel its its impact or its influence? Mm-hmm. I think, so I have worked at, at three companies in my in my career. And the first time that I really noticed this thing, which was work culture, was when I moved from my first company to my second company. Okay. Um, my first company was a Portuguese company. Mm-hmm. Um, and since it was the first, you know, everything was normal because that was supposed to be the way that things worked. Right. Um, when, I, when I moved to my second company, which was a Dutch company, mm-hmm. uh, that's when I really noticed or or really took notice of, oh, things are very different and they didn't have to, to work that way. <laughs> that that was my very first like um, bump into into workplace culture. Okay. Or that was the first time that it really got my attention. Interesting. So that that was fairly early in, in your career. Um and I yeah, I think we'll get into uh that experience a little bit. Uh, farther into the episode here, but uh, I think that that is an interesting observation uh, that I will like to know, or would like to know more about. So we'll get into that. Um, last question I have is when was the last time you felt a sense of thriving? Another very hard question. Um the last time that I felt a sense of thriving was actually quite recently. Um, so, I mean, for you and for our listeners, I have just uh, signed down on a house. Um, so, yeah, you know, the internet now knows. Um, <laughs> so I, I've, I felt pretty good about it. But when it comes to uh, workplace thriving, um, I feel like I thrive pretty much every day. Um, I I feel very blessed and very successful at what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though there are better days and worse days, um, I feel a general sense of thriving. Uh, it's not a single point in time. Uh, it's more of a continuous continuum. Okay. Any Any advice or... I don't know, tips or tricks, because um, I'll be honest, a daily sense of thriving sounds really, really cool and really, really good. Um, (laughs) And so, and I get it. I've known you for a while. I know that your your outlook and your personality uh, tends to be uh, pragmatically optimistic. Um, And so I think that's, that's part of it, right? I mean, as... Myself, I am a sometimes non-pragmatic optimist, <laughs> um, but having having that optimistic outlook, I think, is important to feeling a sense of thriving. Um, yeah, because you're at least it, you're open to it. And it's for me at least. And if I were to give any piece of advice uh, for anyone for anyone foolish enough to take it. Um, it's not about liking what you do, mm-hmm. um, because that's a fallacy. 
uh, it's not even about being very good at what you do, which is another fallacy. Um, I think it is most of all being able to roll with the punches, mm. uh, accepting that you're not going to be very good and that not every day is going to be a success. Um, so, so resiliency. Yeah, more along those lines. Yeah, it's about being resilient. Um, and you'll see that, you know, 90% of success is just showing up. Yeah, and, agreed. And just being there every day and never actually giving up on something, never, never taking like the, the easy choice or the easy way, way out will provide you with uh, not only success, but this feeling of, of thriving in your workplace. Because you'll, you'll naturally become good at whatever you do. Yeah. Yeah. I think with, uh, you know, with enough practice in anything, uh, you know, you achieve a level of uh, comfort and confidence in your competence. Um, but I think thriving for me is, is more than just feeling that you're good at what you do it's doing what you're good at around people and organizations that mm -hmm. you uh feel connected to and passionate about and uh there's a a sense of belonging and a sense of of, of community of culture Definitely, definitely. And I am, I am blessed enough that I work at one such company at the moment, um, where we have a really tight knit group, at least the people I work with daily, uh, which make makes all of this really easy. Right? Yeah, yeah. So let's kind of nice segue, thank you very much into uh, the first topic I want to talk to you about. Uh, again, I have an unfair advantage here. I, I know you and your history. Um, so you were working, I, I believe the Dutch company that you spoke about earlier mm -hmm. is the same Dutch company I'm thinking about. Yes. Okay. Um, so you were working for this Dutch company and this Dutch company um, was acquired by another mm -hmm. company. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, one of the theses that I have, or, or hypothesis, I guess I should say, um, that I have as part of the research that I'm conducting around work culture and, 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 and in particular around toxicity in work culture, <clears throat> excuse me, is that mergers and acquisitions, um, are a what we want to call this a, a, a core or you know, a core event. Mm -hmm. um, Definitely. And I've been part of a number of, of uh, teams that uh, are the due diligence teams for mergers and acquisitions. Um, and as part of that team, you know, the, you are looking at a company's financials, you're looking at their technology, you're looking at their customers, you know, basically the operation of the business. You're, you're looking at all these different aspects of the business to see how healthy, uh, how mature, how robust mm -hmm. 
what you what I've yet to see, and I'm sure there are companies out there that are doing this, but what I've yet to see is an organization that when they're going through that due diligence are spending the same amount of effort, time, and focus on the culture of the company that is the acquisition target. Um, because should that deal go through, you are now taking two companies, oftentimes with very different cultures, uh, or even slightly different cultures, and trying to lace them together, trying to bring them together. And yep. if you don't have a plan, that can, you know, that can be a, a, a difficult, um, difficult situation. So from your experience going through that, mm -hmm. um, how did it go? And, and what were some of your experiences and observations of, uh, of how the cultures did or did not meld? Yeah. Um, so there were a lot of things happening at the time, right? Um, and I worked for a Dutch company that got acquired by an American company. Mm -hmm. um, you know, right from the get-go, uh, you get a clash here. Uh, even though the, the Dutch culture is not that different from the American culture, it is different enough so that you notice. Um, at the time, the Dutch company was having some financial troubles. And so um, every week we would have a new goodbye party for someone, right? Because people were jumping ship all the time. And so it was all doom and gloom. Uh, and when we got acquired... We, we got acquired into this company, which was on, was on the rise up, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so they were incredibly optimistic and we were incredibly pessimistic. Right. And that was something that was never really taken into account. Mm -hmm. um, that we kind of needed some time to adapt to this. Right. Uh, so that was one of the circumstances that kind of led to a bigger culture clash. Um, I think that all in all, both companies did their due diligence on each other, uh, even culture-wise. Um, I remember talking to our CEO at the time, uh, and he was like, I feel like I found someone, uh, I feel like I found a company which will uh, align with us and align with uh, our mission. Um, and it was sort of true. Right. It was sort of true. Obviously, you get you get some some major differences. Like you get you have to get used to um, going from the Dutch the Dutch directness right. to to the American you know beating around the bush uh, most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I feel you know after going through that, my first impression was that Americans uh, spoke in riddles. Mm. Um, never really saying what they meant. Uh, and and there, were, there was a perceived layer of like fakeness and, and like, like everyone was just putting on a show, putting right. on a mask, if you will. Right. Um, until, you know, I actually started working uh, with them more, more often. And I realized that's just how they are. They're just that different. Um, I don't know. I think that 
an acquisition or a merger and an acquisition are very sensitive uh, things. Um, and you need to be very tactful in how you do them. Right. Um, yes, the logistics are important. The, what you mentioned, right? Um, making sure that uh, the technology is there, that the talent is there, that the, right. the, the finances are all right. Um, but at the end of the day, you're dealing with people. Yes, absolutely. Um, and one, one thing that we saw was we had a batch of us that got acquired and then a batch of us that left. They just couldn't right. adapt. Right. And, and it's not that there wasn't an effort to adapt them. We, ha we even had um, a consultant from, Germ from Germany uh, talking about who was a, a, an expert on, on, on mergers and acquisitions from a cultural point of, cultural point of view. Um, but some people just fail to adapt uh, at that, and, and that's okay. Was there, uh, what was the dynamic between your Dutch colleagues, yourself, and this German consultant? Yeah, um, that's a very good question. So, um, again, we were very lucky um, at this Dutch company that it wasn't like, yes, it was a Dutch company and it had Dutch people in it, but it was also fairly international. And we had people from all around, you know, Europe in the Middle East, basically. Um, so you had people from, from the UK, you had people from France, you had people from, from uh, the Netherlands, you, we had German people, we, ha we had people from Jordan and Egypt. So it kind of became this melting pot um, mm. where since everything was a clash of culture, nothing was right. a clash of culture. Right. Um, I remember talking to, to a colleague and a friend of mine there um, who asked me when Christmas was. Hmm. Uh, because he was from Egypt and he, you know, couldn't care less. Right. Uh, and, and I was like, you know, what do you mean you don't know when Christmas is? And he was like, <laughs> you know when Ramadan is? Exactly. <laughs> I told him, no. Uh, so it, it, yeah, it was such a culture shock at all times that it, we kind of made our own little culture in it. Okay. And it, it, it became this European culture with a lot of um, air quotes. Um, interacting with this, uh, German consultant was awkward. Uh, he was, he was non-stereotypically German. So he had a lot of sense of humor and he took it, he took it in stride. It was really cool to have those sessions. Um, but to me, he made a crucial mistake, which was mm. he decided to compare the Dutch culture to the American culture uh, to kind of prepare us to what we were dealing with. Right. And since, since at the time the Dutch company was such a, a melting pot of, of different cultures and ideologies, even, um, I feel like none of that really spoke true to anyone. Right. Uh, and so, yes, it was interesting knowing that, Culture can be evaluated in like six different categories. Right. Um, and it was interesting knowing how, how the Netherlands compared to, to, to the US, but none of that really rung true for, for any of us except the Dutch. Um, so yeah, it was interesting. It was interesting. I think it could have been way more in depth. Right. Because, because yeah, because 
um, Europe, contrary to the U.S., and obviously there are a lot of different cultures within the the, the U.S., right? You cannot compare Florida to Minnesota. Um, well, you could, but it would it would be a could, very inter yeah. interesting comparison, right? Uh, Europe is like that, but on steroids, right? Yeah. There is there is no no common uh, identity that we right. have here here in Europe. Yeah. Uh, so me being Portuguese and a friend being Spanish, we we have totally different cultures. Right. Um, so yeah, I feel like during that step in the in the integration process, we could have had a little bit more, uh, you know, bespokeness to it. Yeah. Understood. So when the acquisition was happening, how aware? were people outside of, of the bubble, right? What I mean by the bubble is, again, being part of these of an acquisition team, you've got to compartmentalize. Mm -hmm. um, and so oftentimes uh, it doesn't become widely known that this is happening until either right before the mm -hmm. signing of the contracts or right after the signing of the contracts. Um, no. But how aware were you uh, that this was occurring? And, uh, you know, did it, did it come as a surprise? Uh, it sort of. Okay. Um, I feel like all of my answers are, it depends. Uh, um, that's mostly life right there, right? It's all situation. Yeah, mostly, mostly life, yeah. Nothing is black and white. Uh, so... At the Dutch company, we it was one of those companies where everything is really transparent, and so mm -hmm. we we knew our our uh, runway, right? Um, and, and our runway wasn't looking good, and so right. we we knew that the money would run out um, by the end of August, mm. and so at the end of August, like August twenty eighth, August twenty ninth, maybe. Um, it got announced that we actually got acquired. <laughs> so a couple of days before the money ran, ran out and everything was settled by then. And so we started working for the American company September 4th. Wow. Quick so, turnaround. Yeah, maybe, maybe a week of notice um, yeah. for us employees. Obviously, like we knew that we were looking for other alternatives, right? Right. Um, because we were having regular all hands where we were talking about, you know, potential options. We tried to get more funding and we couldn't. Uh, we tried a lot of different things, uh, including two layoffs, mm. uh, which wasn't very fun. Um, and yeah, and by the end of it, we knew that come August, either we were getting acquired or we were all going home. Right. And thankfully, we got acquired. So we we had we had we had a good idea that something was cooking, but we were not really notified until you know everything was already signed, the deal was done, and 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 then we started working for the American company. Okay. So the culture at the the Dutch company sounds. Again, you know, you've said a couple of things here, uh, transparency, um, yeah. 
sounded, you know, uh, a, a mixture of cultures, both from a where are you from perspective, as well as um, probably different work styles. Um, and so you already have this kind of uh, amalgamation inside this, this organization already. And now here comes this other company that is across the pond, as, as we like to say. And yep. they are, you know, they're acquiring you. And I can imagine that's already an emotionally charged situation, mm-hmm. right? Because you just explained, I and mean, if I'm putting myself in your shoes, um, and I know that I know that one thing is is likely, and that is we're going to run out of out of funding, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be looking for a new job. And all of a sudden, this this thing uh, uh, thing comes out of out of thin air, possibly, and it saves you. And now you've got a whole different set of such of challenges before you. Yeah, I would say that it saves you the trouble of looking for a new job, but it's still a new job. That's very insightful. Okay, so let's talk about that. So it's September 4th, and you have all these new people. Mm-hmm. Um, how were you, how are you incorporated into this new organization that you found yourself a part of? Yeah, so... <clears throat> The first thing was we were actually part of, of the American company's uh, onboarding process. Uh, like if we were brand new employees, which mm-hmm. in fact we were. Right. Um, there we had some gaps, right? Because there were like, I don't know, 60 of us at the Dutch company that got acquired. Um, and the onboarding... Um, the onboarding flow was not was not made to to handle sixty people at a time. Right. I, I don't think any company has that or that type of 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 onboarding flow, unless you're you know Google or Microsoft. Right. Um, and so we had to, or rather, the American company had to adapt their onboarding, which was really tailored for three or four people at a time, and they had like group activities. And, and a lot of a lot of stuff like that to a group of 60 people that happened to already know each other. So it got really clicky. Hmm. Uh, on top of that, we were onboarding with a couple of other people who had nothing to do with us. Right. Right. They just they were just new employees, fair right. and square. Uh, so it it got incredibly clicky at, at some point. Um, I remember we were actively rejecting the onboarding almost. Mm. Uh, almost like almost like a body rejects a new organ, you know. Right. Um, we were actively rejecting it. We w- I remember us making fun of uh, all of the American mannerisms, right? The the you know everyone saying that everything is awesome at all times. <laughs> uh, I remember us, us making fun of everyone saying that they were blessed or grateful at all times. Right. Um, and funnily and the, enough, I've, I've kind of, you know, grown used to it. And now I kind of use just it gonna myself. Say, I think, I think you used that word a couple of times already. I can yeah. also imagine, um, the overuse of exclamation points. 
Yes, because again, everything is awesome. I I, right. I remember us joking that um, Americans didn't like anything; they loved everything. Yes, uh, you know they love coffee. They love this. They love that. They love Starbucks. Uh, <laughs> while you know, in Europe, yes, we may we may love a lot of things, but when we you know love love stuff, yeah, uh, it's often people. Yes. Uh, so, so that that was kind of that was kind of weird. So I remember being in that onboarding uh, process, that was very extensive. Like the whole thing um, was a four week program of intensive onboarding plus another four weeks of not so intensive onboarding, but still a couple of calls here and there. Right. And on top of that, a few of us, and I was in I was in a particular position, uh, being being the the site reliability engineer at the Dutch company. And the only one at that, um, I got into a position where I had to essentially work two jobs at the same time because the Dutch company still had customers. Uh, and at the same time, I was onboarding into the American company. So the whole thing could have been, could have been handled a little better, I think. Right. Uh, and, you know, if any of your listeners is actually doing something like this at the time, you know, do not overwhelm the people you just acquired. They're already yeah. pretty overwhelmed. <laughs> well, and that's actually, again, you're, you're really good at these segues, uh, Joanne. I appreciate it. You're making my job easy. If you could, you know, go back to that time to September 4th and, you know, you as, as a employee, um, at, you know, because let's face it, unless we have a, a C in our title or, uh, a V, a VP mm -hmm. in our title, um, the only power we have is influence and sometimes indirect influence, right. Yeah. Of, of how we can help steer the boat. Um, so, if you could go back, uh, what would be some of the things that you would, you know, and you had the ear of somebody in, in a seat, in a, in a position of, of power, mm -hmm. um, what would you tell that person to do differently, to change the outcome or, or make things easier for people? Yeah, I would, I would do a couple of things. And these are mostly logistic, right? So first thing is, um, you know, let's break up with the previous girlfriend before we start dating the new one. Right. Uh, so let's let's get all of our stuff uh, in order. Let's uh, offboard the current customers at the previous company. Uh, let's make sure that all of that is wrapped up, or let's make sure that none of that actually requires any maintenance, right? Uh, that was that was the first thing. So working two jobs was frustrating and and nerve wracking. Um, was that a cultural expect? Well, I don't. Was that an expectation that was seated in culture? In other words, the 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 company you were coming from, or the company that that existed before the acquisition, the Dutch company. Um, yeah. Was it a culture of we're just going to 
do whatever needs to be done in order to be successful, right? What doesn't matter if you've got your quote, quote, two jobs, mm -hmm. just you're expected to do it. And we work, you know, part of our culture is we work hard and we get things done. Or was that something that came in with the new company that you felt? I mean, what did that, I want to try to tie this back to a, a cultural yeah. aspect yeah. rather than just a, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I think that at the at the Dutch company, we had essentially one mantra, uh, which was you know whatever we do, our customers need to be happy, right? Okay. Um, as long as it doesn't affect the customers, we're kind of okay. Right. Um, and I feel like that expectation remained um, because you know company the the customer is always right and all that uh so i feel like that expectation remained but also there was the added pressure sort of seeing the new company as as the saviors that we had to um show up for them right, right? we had to to be there and make sure that we were being you know good employees and worth keeping around uh worth saving almost um so there was there was that expectation and and those two collided a lot. Those two collided. On the one hand, being like remaining true to our customers that kind of held with us uh, until right. the bitter end, um, while at the same time trying to so you know again quote unquote impress the 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 new employer. I think so. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I, uh, you just, you know, you just said something that uh, really intrigues me. And that is, um, and I'm going to paraphrase what I just heard. So tell me yeah. if I heard it correctly. Uh, so being part of this uh, acquired company, you felt, and I'm sure you're, well, I can't, I can't say other people. I have no idea. I know mm -hmm. you felt, or I believe you felt that you had to prove yourself. Yeah. Right. You, you had to, you know, without being asked to interview, interview for your job, you, you know, you, you felt that you had to interview for your job mm -hmm. and prove yourself because, um, for whatever reasons, right. That the, the reasons I, I don't know. Uh, but that's interesting because it comes back to a word that you've said to me multiple times in our, during our time of knowing each other. And that is empathy, mm -hmm. right? Um, talk about, talk about empathy as it relates to that experience, if you will. Did you feel that there was that people were, were attempting to put themselves in your place to understand where you were coming from and the dynamics that you were working inside. Um, you know, were you, were you approached with empathy or, or, well, I'll let you mm -hmm. answer. Yeah. What was that like? Um, I, I would say no, not at all. Um, Again, this was seen as an acquisition of talent 
mm-hmm. and it it was seen, I believe, as a major influx of new uh, contributors. Uh, I think that the the most that we were shown when it comes to empathy was the um, the the sessions with the German consultant about culture. That was, I think, that was the the most effort that that was made uh, at really integrating us, uh, because everything else was just, oh, I'm I'm, I'm sorry. Um, we also moved uh, all hands to not be at eleven at night, uh, which was a nice touch. Um, yeah. So that was that was pretty good, but you know everything else it was not very empathetic. Uh, I think I think that. And again, coming back to the to the story of having to work two jobs, um, it kind of led us to sort of resent the new company, yeah. Because um, while having to support the previous customers, we were now having to to sit through marketing onboarding, like you know, come on, right. uh, marketing is important and all that, which is great. And as an engineer, I love everyone in marketing, but maybe that could have waited a month. <laughs> Is it? Yeah, um, there was there was a period of a lot of confusion uh, in, you know, among other things, I didn't know who my manager was uh, for a while, for a long while. Um, I think I only really knew who my manager was in November. Um, you know, after a period of a lot of uncertainty. So I felt personally that um, I was left adrift uh, for about two months until until we actually found a place to fit me in. Um, Yeah, that is (laughs) that is most undoubtedly non-empathetic, right? Um, So. Again, going back to to my hypothesis around mergers and acquisitions, and I think again your your experience is likely not unique. Um, and I think that that's a problem, right? And and when we are as an organization, if we're going to acquire another organization, we need to plan for that, right? We need to plan mm-hmm. for that that cultural um accommodation that cultural uh integration right it's yeah i i, I kind of uh relate it to uh you know two people who each have children and they're coming they're getting married right so yeah. they're bringing two families together over in the states we call that the brady bunch effect right so mm-hmm. um you don't just spring that on your kids one day and say, oh, by the way, tomorrow I'm marrying so-and-so, and and now you're going to have this number of new step-siblings. You know, you bring them together and and you plan for it and you anticipate that there are going to be bumps and, and you work it out how you're going to address those as much as you can beforehand. It's a very thorny subject. Yes, um, absolutely. Excuse me. And I think that um, most of the time, companies approach this as hiring a bunch of people. Right. Uh, and that is definitely not the way to to go at it. 
I can only imagine the person who is running the onboarding for the 60 new people. I suspect they did not know that this was going to happen until it did. And they likely had no time or little time to plan. Yeah. Uh, I, and or uh, you know adjust their way of doing things to accommodate not only this influx of all these new people but also having to work through these cultural and emotional dynamics. Totally. Totally. Um looking back at at the person who was uh managing our onboarding I think that at the time they were like completely overwhelmed, but at the same time they were um, rising up to the challenge. Mm -hmm. And I've, you know, I think that they felt it that way. Like they were themselves, you know, doing something which was incredibly challenging. Uh, <laughs> it didn't go so well and that's okay. Right. Uh, I, I just hope that the next time that this particular company does something like that, or that particular person organizes an onboarding at this level, uh, that they have taken their lessons and, and, and they know what not to do. You know, what are one or two things that people can do if it pertains to acquisitions, if it just pertains to understanding different cultures right because again you're you live in in portugal working for a dutch company that was acquired by an american company uh, and you're having to navigate all these different cultural aspects both from a uh a, a, a nationality perspective as well as from just how these different cultures approach work culture. Mm -hmm. um, so love to, guess, love to give our audience, our listeners, uh, you know, some practical advice that they could try out or, or again, if, if they are part of or aware of an upcoming core event in their company, mm -hmm. uh, maybe they can, I don't know, be inspired to do something a little bit different. So let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll get into that, and then um, uh, we'll wrap up the episode. All right. So here we go. Listen to your listen to our sponsors. Okay, we're back. So uh, before we went on the break, I mentioned that uh, you know, I want to give our listeners some practical advice. So I'm going to put you on the spot, Joao, and say, "Hey, if if uh, you know if you had somebody reach out to you and said, loved what you said on the episode, going through a very similar thing, what would be your piece of advice?" to either them going through it to help them, you know, have a 
better experience potentially from a, a culture integration point of view, or uh, what advice would you give to somebody who was, uh, you know, part of that acquiring team to potentially, you know, help that, that acquisition go smoother? Yeah. So for the person going through it, um, my advice would be let go of any notion that you're still working at the same company. Um, cause you're not, you, you've lost your job and found a new job in less than 24 hours. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> this is, this is a totally new company. This is it. And, and you should probably try to, uh, face it that way. Right. Um, you know, face this new company as you would face any other company if you had just, um, switch jobs. Uh, right. The advantage here is that you will have a lot of people who switch jobs with you to the same company. So you already have friends, you don't have to start from scratch. Right. right. So having that, having that little shift in perspective, I felt really helped me. Good. Um, really helped me because from when I started, or rather from when I stopped uh, looking at this as, you know, this is still the Dutch company, but with a new brand and started right. to look at it as no, okay, the Dutch company is dead. Right? right. Um, this is this is the new this is the new company that I work for. Uh, everything started out started going like, much more smoothly, much more smoothly, because I adapted. Uh, right. and, and so will you. Um, just adapt to the new culture, adapt to the new people, adapt to the new time zone. Uh, if you if you are in Europe and just got acquired by an American company, that's gonna be that's gonna be a shocker. Um, so yeah, that that would be my piece of advice to to someone going through this. It sucks. It's gonna suck for a little while longer, uh, and then it's gonna be okay. Uh, like a, most things in life, it's very pragmatically optimistic of you. Some people define me like that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's switch then to, you know, you're talking to the CEO. Uh, well, actually, yeah, you're talking to the CEO or, the, or the, 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 you know, the chief human resource officer of the acquiring yeah. company. Uh, what would your advice for, the, for them be? My, my advice for them would be, again, you're not hiring a bunch of people. These are not just numbers. These people most likely don't work in the same uh, mold that you do. You're going to need mm -hmm. to be very patient and very empathetic with them. Right. Um, give them time to adapt to the new job. Give them time to mourn their old job because they didn't know they were going to lose it. Right. Uh, so be incredibly patient, be incredibly tolerant, and be incredibly empathetic. Yeah. Uh, with them because they're going to require that. Yeah. Otherwise you'll have people, you know, like me and my colleagues who actively rejected the new culture. Yeah. Give them time. Think... Don't, don't give them false platitudes. Like, you know, everything is great over here. It's not, it never is. Don't tell them they're blessed. Yeah. Don't tell them they're blessed. <laughs> uh, because again, these are these are a collection of people who have just lost their jobs. 
yeah. their their entire you know work identity has shifted. Yeah, uh, and so they're going to need some time to adapt to that. I I love some you know I, I've I love some of the language that you used around these type of events. Um, you know we're not acquiring, we're merging, right? We're not. You know, this is not a takeover. This is a uh, a melding, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's all uh, the language is all very um, positive and and it's cooperative, look, right? Cooperative and forward looking, but the reality oftentimes uh, is is much more messy in that mm-hmm. you you know. I think you're you're spot on. You need the people who are coming into the new organization that is just well, the old organization you worked for is dead. Right? Yep. It's a death and you need to mourn it. You need to mourn it. And and uh I remember you know one company that um I was part of that was well, we acquired somebody else, another company. And they had to close down their office um, mm-hmm. and they had a wake for that office, right? I mean, it's, they, they got together. Uh, they, they had a, a like I said, a, a wake and a, and a morning ceremony for the office. Uh, and I thought that was incredibly healthy and incredibly cathartic for them. Uh, and I loved that idea because that was part of their culture that, that, and, and you don't, I don't know, you don't want to kill uh, the culture of the previous company. You want to try to figure out how to, how to accommodate aspects yeah. of it. Yeah. For instance, we, at the Dutch company, we had um, an office in, in Amsterdam. Mm. And, well, I work remotely from, from, from Portugal, so... You know, it is it is it is not my office, but it was my home base. Right. And whenever I went there, it made me feel like home. Uh, right. It was it was the closest thing that I could that I could call an office. Um, and when we got acquired, one of the first things that happened was they remodeled it to mm. to fit the new branding. Right. And when I went there after the the rebrand. Um, it just didn't feel right. Uh, would it have been better? Again, we're, we're, we're talking coulda, woulda, shoulda here, right? So would it sure. have been better to close down that office and potentially open a new one and then uh, brand wasn't... it up? Or, or am I missing the mark there? I don't know. Uh, I think that that wasn't practi- practical because it doesn't um, matter if it's practical. It's it's. I mean, it does obviously, but the thing at is, the same that time, office that office had a lease for the next five years or so. Yeah. <laughs> um. So it it would be very expensive. Uh. But I don't know. Like, some of the identity was lost in that, and and it was a loss. Coming back to to the wake for the office. Yeah. Um. It was a loss. And and it was never a loss that got recognized yeah. as such. That's uh, and thank you. I think that that is probably the the point that that uh, yeah. that needs to make, be made. And that is you know just 
it seems it sounds simple, but I think it's it's profound in its impact and effect to acknowledge that. And I think oftentimes as the acquiring company, we are reluctant to make that acknowledgement because we think it's it's going backwards, right? We think it's it's holding on to the path. Exactly. Right. But, yeah. you know, you can't let go of something unless you acknowledge that that thing exists and it's no longer either part of your reality or it's no longer doing, you know, doing good for you or, or a positive uh, part of your life. But regardless, you've got to be able to recognize it, honor it yeah. and let it go. And it's, uh, you know, if I detach myself from the feelings of the situation, right? Yes, of course, it's the it's the right thing to do. It's a new company, a new company after all, right? Um, and as a CEO, um, you know, in Texas, you know, you are plenty detached from <laughs> from any feelings uh, pertaining right. to that office. Right. So I get I get the rational decision. But, uh, you know, we we build rationality on top of feelings. You know, mm -hmm. as humans, we're feelings first. Right. And then we, we build intellect on top of it. Uh, and so feelings kind of always win, at least in, in these first reactions. You can do everything that you think is right, but if it doesn't feel right, uh, you'll always be left with that, well, feeling. I love that. Feelings always win. That's uh, uh, That might That's actually be the title of this episode. Who knows? Oof. Um, that's a controversial controversial take <laughs> no well no, uh, going back i mean again coming back to to culture work culture it's not my research has again has shown that it's not culture is not a process culture is not a procedure culture is not uh a series of statements or anything that you can actually proceduralize or productize you can't you know you can't productize your culture no you it cannot. is it is a organic living breathing entity that gets created when two or more people get together and it's the the social agreements that we have with one another the 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 responsibilities that we have to each other the you know, the thou shalts and thou shalt nots, right? It's those mm -hmm. things that we agree upon, uh, whether it's implicit or not, or sorry, explicit or implicit, to say that this is how we're going to work with one another and, uh, and this is how I'm going to show I care about you and this is how you're going to show you care about me and this is how we're going to work together as a community, as a community, to accomplish or just live together. If that's yeah. not rooted in feelings, I don't know what is. Yeah. And that's why it's so hard to build culture. Yeah. Right? It's difficult. Uh, it, it's, like, it's like asking to build trust. Yeah. How do you build trust? You, you do it, you know, step by step. How do you build culture? Right. You do it step by step. Step, step by step. And hopefully you're paying attention to it. And hopefully you're uh, 
curating it and planning for it. Yeah. Right. Um, we make plans for how we're going to sell a product. We make plans for how we're going to staff a department. What we don't make plans for is how we're going to make sure our culture is extensible and extendable and adaptable. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing all that you've shared. Uh, it's been uh, an interesting and incredible ride. Um, I have some new catchphrases I'm going to try out, like, you know, feelings always win. And, oh, there was another one that I've, I've wrote down, but in the mess of my notes, I'm not going to be able to find. <laughs> uh, but, Joelle, thank you so much for your time. And uh, are, are there any, I don't know, things that you're doing uh, that you like to plug before we uh, close out the episode? Um, no, no, I am a little bit of a hermit in that regard. I don't have any social media. I don't have any projects going on. Um, I'm just a guy. You're just a guy. Well, you're, you're guy. more than, you're more than just a guy. Um, <laughs> I, I am, I am proud to, uh, an honor to call you friend and I appreciate you being a guest on my podcast and, um, Keep it up, my friend. Thank you. And, and thank you again for having me. Uh, this was very fun. You're welcome.